Thank you so much for this, this, this. It's, it's so fun to watch. The extroverts are just flaming happy. And the introverts are just going, when is this going to end? Just watching the room, which is fantastic. Thank you for being willing to just take a step into this. This is so important because of the theme of the morning. In Ecclesiastes 4, the writer, we're continuing our series for our guests. This is our fifth week in the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter four, he's gonna really look at what happens when people live an isolated life, comparing with a person who lives a connected life. And what, he, what he's really arguing for is that if we choose to live a me-focused life, life is hevel. It's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. But there's something rich that happens when we will be a we. So my um, slide number six, please, Jim. This is a summary. We're going to read through chapter one, one through 16. But what he's going to suggest in multiple passage, multiple verses, one through eight, and then 13 through 16, if we hate our neighbor, I mean, these were hate in quotation marks, if we don't make loving connections with our neighbor, I'll explain that in a minute, somehow it moves to an ignoring of God. Not sure if the people thing comes first or the God thing comes first, but we end up destroying ourselves. And he compares it with someone who loves a neighbor, who has a love for God, and that person experiences the beauty of relationships. So that's where we're going to go together. Now we'll talk about neighbor one more time. One more time. I'm going to try to do it many times the coming years. I've been doing it now for this whole past year. For our guests, this comes from the teaching of Dallas Willard, and I think he is so spot on. I'm going to talk about neighbors. So hate your neighbor, love your neighbor. Who is our neighbor? I've been suggesting to you for the last year that our neighbor, we don't have bazillion neighbors. We have a relatively small number of people with whom we are neighbors. So it starts with the people with whom we live, and then it moves to the people with whom we actually have a, like a work relationship, a school relationship. So typically you interact with quite a little bit. And there might be a few more people beyond that, but it's a relatively small number of people. So what we're going to see in the passage, and what I've been suggesting now for this past year, is those of us who love our neighbors, I use the word love, four Greek words for love. I'm using the word agapao. The definition I've been using all this past year is to love, is to will and do the good of another. So if I hate my neighbor, and that's a strong word, if I, if I am not connected to my people I live with, the people I play with, teammates, workmates, if I don't connect in a relatively small group of people, what begins to happen, he's going to show us, we start to get these hard-hearted relationships and we actually start to ignore God. Now that comes back to what Jesus said when he was asked, so teacher, tell us, what's important in the law? What did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbors yourself. So who is my neighbor? It starts with right here. So let me I'm push. If, if I don't love my wife and my sons and their wives and their children like Christ loved the church, then I am an imposter standing in front of you Sunday after Sunday. We have to love our neighbors, the people we interact with. Why? Because somehow there's interconnectivity. What, is, what, did, what did the epistle John, what did John say? What, in the right rings. If we say we love God and we hate our brother, 
He said, the truth is not in us, and we are liars. So there's something about choosing to love our closest people, to will the good of the others, so that somehow, I can't figure it out, there's this connection with loving these people and loving God, and then something beautiful happens. But we're going to see in the passage, he's going to compare it with someone who is me-focused. So two weeks ago, I took you in chapter two, 39 times he used the pronoun I or me. 28 times me, myself. 67 times here, 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 here. And he talks about how bad it was, and that was a Sunday I burst all the balloons. All the things we want to try to find happiness focused right here don't lead to happiness. Now, let me give you a couple quick sentences, then we'll go to the text. Can I have uh, slide two and then slide three? So, do you think this is true? Could each of us ask ourselves a question? The one person I am almost always aware of is me. So think about your day, whatever you do in a day, who is the primary person that you think about in your day, in my day? Next, next slide, watch. We fill our thoughts and plans with ourselves as we constantly try to figure out how can I find meaning in my life and how can I be happy? It's we, not me. That's what he's poking at in Ecclesiastes 4. So let's look at the text. Chapter 4, let me read through it. We're going to see a whole number of things. Let me read it through pretty slowly and just make some verbal accentuations, then I'll show you a couple slides. So now he's, he's quite cynical here now, and he's quite discouraged. So he says, you're heading in chapter 4, oppression, toil, and friendlessness. So he says, again, I looked, and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and look at the next phrase, they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. Now look how discouraged he gets. This is, a, this is just in-your-face statement. I declare that the dead, who had already died, are happier than the living who are still alive. Why? Because of all the oppression he sees everywhere. Verse 3. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil, talking about the oppression, the bad, horrible stuff that is done under the sun. So that's out there oppression. Now watch him bring it really close to each person. He says in verse four, and I saw that all the toil and all achievement, no, all, big words, all toil, all achievement spring from one person's, what's the next word? Envy of one another. And he said, all that work, all that achievement, coming out of envy is meaningless, hevel. It's a chasing after the wind. Now he changes topics, verse five. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. What's he talking about? Being so lazy, they expect others to care for them. Verse six, now you get crazy busyness. Better one handful with tranquility then two handful, handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. Work, 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 go, 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 go. It's chasing after the wind. 
And then he says, again I saw something hevel, meaningless, breath blowing away. Now look at this. There was a man who was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. Let me just stop for a second. If you follow Hebraic understanding, if, if, this, if you were all Jewish people and I read that, you would gasp. You just go, oh! He was all alone and had no one. If you read the Old Testament, what do you see constantly? They're always talking about tribes. Twelve tribes, 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 tribes. Tri Why? Because you were known by your tribe. You were defined by your tribe. You were cared for by your tribe. Remember the story of the prodigal son? I told this many, many years ago. The story of the prodigal son is so interesting. When the story goes, the father saw his son, and he, remember that? He picked up his, his, his dress, his, and he runs to get his son. Why? Because the whole tribe, the village, would kill him because he dishonored his father. Everything was tribal. It was your group. It was your family. It was your kin. It was everything. And the text says, what? And the people listening would be going, wow, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of the enjoyment? This too is hevel, chasing after the wind, a miserable business. Now he offers hope. Here's the we. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them get up. Also, if two lay down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So I'll walk you through. Chapter, nine, chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one. They have a good return for their labor. Meaning what? When people work together, there are advantages to shared work. Look at the next phrase. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and there's no one to help them. So no matter, this is an agrarian culture. If you ever go to Israel, you'll probably be taken on a, a walking tour to Jer from the Jericho Road. You know, I say Jericho, you're talking about, right? The story of the Good Samaritan, that whole story. So if you actually walk the road, I'll try to do it. So basically, the path, the Jericho Road is not much wider than this. That's how narrow. So when you go to Israel and you walk the Jericho Road, you're walking a path like this. You are right next to a, a, a large hill and down below is a big ravine. So you are walking a narrow road hoping for safety. What does he say? What happens to the person who falls down? Someone can pick them up. But if you walk the road alone and you fall, who helps you get up? You see now he's bringing this we, not me, working together, walking together. Look at the next phrase. The next phrase is really interesting too. He says, verse 11, if they lie down together, they'll keep warm. 
but how can they keep warm alone? And oftentimes this is used at weddings. Let me tell you the context. The context is you're walking in the desert. You're on this narrow road and you have to stop. So maybe there's a place somewhere you pull over to the side. How do you sleep? Now this is not sexual. You lay down with whoever you're walking with. You lay next to the people you're walking with because you're cold. And if you're walking alone, who will keep you warm? Do you see what he's doing now? He's looking at multiple things of life in their life and saying, if you're doing this on your own, what are you going to do? And then he says, a cord of three strands. Not just one friend, multiple. We. So back in the day, a guy named Patrick Morley had a, he asked a really interesting question. He said, ask, so I'm going to just, let me ask his question to men. This, this is not, this is, this, this is, I don't mean to exclude women. This is just Morley's question to men. Here, here was Morley's question. Men, if you were in a time of great crisis, I mean great crisis, what is the name of the two men you could call who would be there for you? And he argued, talked to thousands of men. Almost all the men said they had no one to call to text in the middle of the night. I've got a phrase I'm going to share at the end, but we get right now. When I talk about we, not me, in the coming weeks, I am talking about a community of deep relational ties in a culture of individualism and isolation. It is so fascinating if you read the studies of what are screens. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But high use of screens, the higher the, the higher the personal use of screens, the data says we are more and more isolated and more and more lonely. I've been talking about Facebook. Facebook is getting caught with their pants down like crazy. Instagram is wrecking young women. Facebook is sex trafficking young children all around the world. And it leads to, and besides that, you have this sense of, I I can be connected to thousands of people, but the data says we become, we feel so isolated and so alone. Listen to this. We are becoming a 370 million million people country of isolated, lonely people. We're connected all over the place. But who are you going to text at 2 o'clock in the morning? And not only will you text, will they show up? I've told you the stories before. People have lost loved ones, tragic things, and they receive, they receive some texts. But one woman who had a tremendous loss said not one person with a body came to see me, came to talk to me. Well, I got texts. I got a sense. That's the level of isolation we're living with. And what he's saying in Ecclesiastes is if we live with that kind of isolation, a me focus, we're in trouble. So let me stop for a second. Do you see what he's slowly pushing into? Remember our sentence for the series? My sentence for the series, I keep forgetting it. I think I wrote it down. Facing death honestly, choosing life intentionally allows for flourishing in love. If I know, if I know I'm going to die relatively quickly, then I'm going to make decisions to move from a me focus to a we focus. Is that fair? If you know you got short to live, all of a sudden it's no longer me, it's where's my we? 
all of a sudden, where are my neighbors? Now, it's crazy. I, my brother's doing funerals in California. Nobody comes. You're doing funerals with, with, this, with, with Mark, the funeral director, and the body, and the preacher. It's crazy. There's nobody. nobody. Throw some dirt on them and walk away. And what he's saying to us is there are opportunities for relationships that are rich. But we're going to have to make decisions together to say, so what does it mean to be we's? How do we move into that? So really quick, let me take you through. Um, Am I, am I making sense? You're looking at me like you're... <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. So give me six, seven, and eight then, Jim. Just, here, here's what I've been trying to say. Here's my summary. If we are not connecting with our neighbors, our closest people, it is easy to become hard-hearted, not just toward them, but somehow it affects our relationship with the Lord. And then it becomes a destructive life because the carnage is just everywhere because I'm not connecting with God or anyone. But if we love our neighbors to will the good of another and then we fear God, we reverence God. And one of the things that I, wanna, I just want to keep acknowledging, God loves life. This is why the word hevel is so interesting. So NIV, meaningless. ESV, vanity. I like what we're using because it speaks to breath. Our lives are just breaths. So what's the Holy Spirit in Greek and English, in Hebrew? It's, it's breath. We can live a life with breath, recognizing life is breath. We're just here for just a short time. So in that short time, can we make decisions to be a we? Starting right, start, starting with our people closest to us. Well, next slide, please. I'm sorry, Jim, give me seven. So here's what I've just tried to show you. Oppression without comforters. He's living a me life. All he sees is oppression and no one caring for the oppressed. Selfish toil. Look what happens when you work your butt off for whoever or whatever. And I had a great conversation yesterday. A tremendous athlete when came to see me. And he said to me, are you saying that I should not try to become a great athlete? I said, absolutely not. Become all that God made you to be. But don't do it thinking this will make me happy. This will bring contentment. So work in his butt off and become a great athlete. He just creates envy. No matter how good you are, there's someone who's better. No matter someone how rich we are, there's someone who's richer. No matter how beautiful we are, there's someone who's more beautiful. Or whatever. Selfishness leads to this envy. I quit. I can't. And then what happens? Listen, lazy people have nothing to share. It's interesting. In 1 Thessalonians, the people were so sure Jesus was coming back that they quit working. So St. Paul writes a letter and says, you know what? Get off your butts and get to work because the person who does not feed his own family should not be part of the kingdom of God. Ooh. Or how about that? I'm just, I'm just going to get busier and busier because i got to get more money or more fame. And then what does it all lead to? It leads to loss. Next slide. He talks with a man with no neighbors. So I'm, I'm going to push again. Who do you text? Who do you call? 
and who will come to you at 2 o'clock in the morning? Do you have neighbors? Now watch this. What goes around comes around. And if I don't love my wife, and I don't love my kids, and I don't love my grandkids, when I'm in the old people's home, ain't nobody going to come see me. Because what goes around comes around. The measure with which we use, Scripture says, it will be used to us. How about this? At the end, he talked, we don't know who the writer is. Is he Solomon? Is he talking about him and his son? So at the end of all their time as kings, they are lonely, self-sufficient, isolated, and forgotten. Well, how about this? Can I have slide nine and then we're going to do something together? So he talks about three strands. The gift we get is to be in relationships. It's fun for me to watch. Um, I'll just use... It, it, I went to... Um, so Chandra was in a play. Denise was in a play. And I went to the play. And I watched the play. And it was so fun at the end to watch all the people who were in the play respond to each other. Because they had worked really hard for a long time to do something. Or to go to an athletic event and watch a team afterwards, win or lose, just to watch the people connect with each other. Or go to a funeral visitation. Today, we're at 3 o'clock, we're going to have a visitation for Sean Gerdes, Steph Heatbrink's brother. Just watch the fellowship. Watch, watch the people relate to each other. There's something incredibly beautiful about that. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So let me ask you one more time. Last time, who do you text? Who do you call at 2 o'clock in the morning? Do they show up? If they don't, what goes around comes around. If they do show up, what goes around comes around. Well, let's do something. Can we do a wee thing together before we do the communion? Can I have slide number 10, please? So this is why I asked you to be fruit basket upset with each other just for a minute because we're going to take a little bit of a risk. Mike poked at it with a song. We're going to try it together. So I wonder, oftentimes when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray it and we think the words and we're saying it ourselves. But today I'd like to do it. I'd like you to listen to all the we's all around you. Listen to all the we's praying that together. And then if you're willing, could we all pray out loud for 20 seconds? And don't listen to anybody. Listen to all of us. What happens when we're we, not me? So can we try it? Let's do the Lord's Prayer. Let's go. Let's give it a shot. L listen to the we. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, now let's, if you'd be willing, quietly, let's all pray however you wish aloud and listen to we pray. 15 seconds. On your marks, get set. Let's pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for praying. Raul, would you come up with me, please? So let's move to communion now. Let's be a we together with communion. And I'm going to say the words of institution in English, and then Raul will say them in Spanish, and then our elders will serve us. The, the trays will be distributed, first the bread, then the juice. Participate as you wish and as you choose. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take this, eat this. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, Jesus took the cup when they had supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. And the cup of blessing which we bless is the communion the blood of Christ. El Señor Jesús, la noche en que fue traicionado, tomó el pan y cuando hubo dado gracias, lo partió y lo entregó a sus discípulos diciendo, tomen, coman, este pan es el cuerpo que por vosotros es partido. Después, tomó la copa y dijo, esta copa representa el nuevo pacto en mi sangre. Hacer esto cada vez que tomaran de esta copa. Este pan representa la comunión con el cuerpo de Cristo y esta copa de vino representa la comunión con la sangre del Señor Jesús. Now you 
trouble I must face I won't be overwhelmed Cause Jesus, your love has won And my faith looks up to thee
to offer a blessing over all of you. So we're going to go back and forth, English and Spanish. So please receive the blessing of the Lord. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Que la gracia de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. May the love of God our Father. Y el amor de nuestro Dios Padre. And may the power of the Holy Spirit. Y que el poder del Espíritu Santo. Be yours now and forever. Amen. Sea para ustedes para siempre. Amén. God bless. We, not me. <laughs> <laughs>